and the farm bill is uh, something that is, you know, this is really, you have a lot of expertise on this. You have a lot of expertise uh, on a lot of things, of course. Uh, yeah, but well, uh, I, this, I mean, this well, is I, agriculture. No, You're an agronomist. <laughs> and I hope, Justin, that you didn't find this one boring because it's um it, it doesn't in, involve fascist coups or vehicular yeah, no, not a vehicular or, homicide or, shoot, or, or <laughs> sabotage of the electrical grid it's yeah. uh, it's yeah, just a it's, bunch of uh, guys in in suits uh, fighting over the farm bill <laughs> yeah but it does have some good we uh, good puns it's got some good puns oh. like even the even the title climate policy on shaky ground in the farm yeah. bill and then you have was, something where you, you're talking about getting into the weeds of policymaking. Yeah. That's good yeah, stuff. Yeah, That's good I'm stuff. quite proud. So of that. okay, so we're gonna talk about this. It's five every five years they have a farm bill since the 1930s, and right. they give. Uh, so they've had the last one was 2018, the Agriculture Improvement Act of 2018, but. Um, you're saying that there's a lot of climate stuff in this one. Well, we'll see. There is um, that's the big debate. Um, how much climate stuff to add there in, in the previous one and ones before that, um, there was um, climate um, relevant um, things like um, a conservation reserve program that take keeps of crops out of um out of annual agriculture you know growing corn and soybeans and puts them into native vegetation and uh, a lot of uh, soil improvement uh practices and, and they're all part of the um what's called the con conservation title of the bill and that's where most of the climate relevant stuff has been but uh, this year or, or last year's Inflation Reduction Act, which was the the one uh, climate bill that was or it had a lot. A lot of it was about climate that passed. Um, it directed um, that something like 20 billion uh, should go into the uh, into programs that are in the farm bill. Um, so now the, the because of that and because of. Democrats wanting to get other climate provisions in into the farm bill. It it's in 2023. That's where the whole um, struggle over getting climate legislation is going to happen because with um, the, a divided Congress, there are not going to be any straight up climate bills uh, being passed. So this is this is where the climate action is. So there's a good news, bad news in the sense that the the <laughs> agriculture bill, the the farm bill, has a lot of uh, appeal in it for every you, you talk about this. There are farmers and ag related industries in every state, whether red, blue or purple. So they always you routinely pass with broad part bipartisan support. So we have um, big states, small states, food stamps. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, and, and the farm bill traditionally has served uh, it primarily uh, benefited the big uh, commodity crops like corn, wheat, soybeans, cotton, and um, has 
um, just by the way of the the nature of the subsidies, they tend to benefit big farmers more than small farmers. So it's been kind of a um, regressive thing. But uh, I, I guess starting you know way back in the 30s, um, well, no, that, that was 60s maybe when food stamps are known as SNAP now, you know, food aid um, to low-income families was became part of the um, agriculture bill, the farm bill, so that um, it, it would be kind of safe there because it would be in this big establishment bill and um, the, and it could kind of be slipped in as a more uh, progressive thing. Uh, although, it's so... I, I didn't really I've never thought about it until uh, reading your dispatch. But so is there some value to the food stamps program? Is there some value to the agricultural producers to having food yeah. stamps in terms of getting rid of surplus inventory or something? Yeah, right. Yeah, that's why the um, ag community. Uh, the farmers have uh, always supported food stamps because it increases demand for food. Um, it was, uh, in addition, in the in the old days, there were also these um, uh, commodity programs where uh, uh, cheese was kind of the um, poster child for this. There, there would always be excess um, dairy production, so uh, the government would um, buy up huge amounts of cheese and um, and distribute it uh, free to people it was and I don't I'm not sure where they would go to get it but uh, government cheese was a bit a big thing that uh, people talked about but uh, eventually it came down to just this um, cash there were actual food stamps coupons people would take to the grocery store now, of course, it's on a, a smart card. Um, yeah, but, I mean, it's it's interesting because I, I saw I, when I went shopping in Kansas <laughs> yeah. at one of those very nice grocery stores, actually. Uh, you, what are they called again? You, you, you oh, Dylan's. Dylan's. Yeah. yeah, not Bob Dylan. But, no. Dil- yeah, and and I went there and I saw that uh, you know um, eligible for food stamps, which you know I, I never on certain certain items said that like yeah, yeah. Know, it's eligible for food stamps. Yeah. Like, oh, this is an interesting. I, I, you don't see that in yeah in Canada. So um, that's all. Okay. So but the the down so so the upside of food stamps is uh, agricultural producers get paid. Um, but the downside from a Republican perspective is uh, maybe the undeserving poor might be able to eat something, which uh, apparently there's objections to. Uh, now, you were saying Matt Gates, five House members are urging President Biden to enact work requirements for SNAP recipients. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Like, uh. So poor you house. Work for, you shouldn't work for pay. You should work for food. It reminds me of a, another kind of relationship that you used to have in the U.S. Anyway, um, so uh, here's another pun for you. You have um, the last year's inflation reduction beefed up several of the farm bills, climate-related conservation programs. But then beef, it turns out, is part of the problem, isn't it? Can you talk about the the beef issue? 
are, are you might have a problem with it. <laughs> if you yeah, well, it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's not uh, j just me. It's um, I guess you call them in industrial ecologists or, or people who uh, analyze climate impact of industrial um, agriculture um, say that uh, have concluded that there are two uh, features of industrial act in, in the U.S. that uh, contribute, that they are the biggest energy consumers uh, and have the worst energy balance. That is, they, they soak up a whole bunch of uh, fossil energy and uh, produce uh, very little in the form of um, output in, in the food or whatever. And um, one of those is the um, yeah, basically factory farming of grain-fed uh, beef, where, where um, cattle who are able to live on uh, vegetation, you know, grass, you know, grasses, legumes, living vegetation or hay, um, stuff that um, uh, that humans can't eat, they can convert it to food, but um, uh, to uh, increase production and, and uh, streamline agriculture and so forth, um, we have the feedlot system where they are all they're fed on grass for a while, then they are all brought into these gigantic pens and kind of force-fed uh, corn and soybeans, uh, basically. Um, and that there's a huge energy expenditure all all the way through that from growing. Uh, the corn growing um, 300 bushel per acre uh, corn um, as a feed grain in, in this country is very energy intensive. It uses more energy um, in, in the form of fossil fuels, including for uh, natural gas for the fertilizer. It uses more energy than it produces in The calories in corn, and then uh, when the corn is fed to a steer, it, 10 calories of corn end up producing. I'm, I'm sorry, yeah, 10 calories of corn end up producing one calorie a, a quantity of meat um, equivalent to carrying one calorie of um, energy. Um, so uh, that that's one of the uh, biggest uh, energy hogs in ag <laughs> to mix the uh, livestock in agriculture the uh and the other one the the researchers say is fuel ethanol we have and in both of these um industries um grain-fed cattle and using corn to <clears throat> produce ethanol is a kind of inferior uh vehicle fuel to substitute for 10 or 15 percent of the gasoline and that goes into the tank um, both of those are um uh, you know, those are the two things that uh, consume the most energy and they're very popular though um in uh in rural america uh, because it like the food stamp uh, program. They're excellent ways of 
getting rid of surplus grain because they're so wasteful that it takes a whole lot of grain um, to uh, produce uh, what what they want to produce. And so and farmers are overproducing grain, so they're able to sell it and and it keeps the price up. Um, But um, but the ethanol, um, the process of producing ethanol, once again, the the, um, the energy that goes into the gas tank uh, in the form of ethanol is less than what it takes to grow, transport the corn, um, ferment it in these giant um, uh, vat or, or anyway these tanks, the, these ethanol plants. Uh, and in the process of making the ethanol, a lot of CO2 is is released, and then it goes goes into the car, and it and the, the car, the engine burns it less efficiently than it does gasoline, so it reduces your um, uh, uh, fuel efficiency in the car, but it soaks up a lot of corn, and so um, it, even you know red or blue states, you know. It, it, Illinois is, you know, they, the state of Illinois always lobbies hard for ethanol. You know, they are a blue state, but they, you know, they're a big corn state. Imagine doing stuff to soak up corn. It's incredible. <laughs> this is just, it's just devastating to think about. So, um, you uh, also were talking about, okay, so we, we talked about the, um, <laughs> you said Congress should flush ethanol completely out of ag policy. Just had to get that other other um, pun in there. But uh, the there's an interesting note uh, just before we, I guess your last point is about, oh, no, you have two last points. But uh, before we get to the second last point, uh, the farm bill, w- one thing you note here is that um, this is usually a, a agricultural matters are technical and there are lots of acronyms. You, you talk about commodity markets. There's lots of economics in here. So lots of Congress probably isn't able to read it for the most part. You said ne- nearly half the members of the House have almost zero farm bill experience because they were not in office during the last debate five years ago. So what, it, what do you think that does that have a lot of implications for the upcoming debate? Do you think? Um. Uh, I'm well. It, it always does in in the sense that um, a relatively small number of members of Congress, um, usually from the uh, big agricultural states, um, uh, have you know, they kind of control the uh, the process, um, and then um, the the rest of the members just kind of trust them uh, to do it. Now, this time, because of the climate um, provisions, there are you know, uh, a lot of uh, uh, Republicans who have uh, n- nothing to do with the farm bill, like Matt Gates. there, m- wanting to um, cut the right? – well, he won't cut food stamps, but a lot of them are saying we're going to get all that climate crap out of there this mm-hmm. time. So everybody's – whether they know much about agriculture or the farm bill or not is um, is 
um, wrangling on it. And, and then there are um, like the um, chair of the Senate um, Ag Committee, which is um, you know, in charge of the uh, coming up with the farm bill is Debbie Stabano from uh, Michigan, which you know, we think of it as a, a Rust Belt and urban place, but they're a big agricultural uh, producer. So you know, Michigan, Illinois, some of the, they, the representatives and senators from those states have often also been uh, as, as involved in Farm Bill as uh, uh, in Iowa. But um, uh, this time, um, a lot of the uh, debate is going to be over climate. They probably members will probably not pay much attention to the the ag part of it because they're uh, in on the Republican side trying to uh, kill the climate part. Yeah, I mean there, there's this fairly open approach that the Republicans have of stopping everything from happening. Uh, so I, I <laughs> yeah. gathered from your from your article that this is not. There's some exceptions to that, and one of them is this farm bill. But maybe they're just going to yeah. extend it. They're just going to extend that generosity to the farm bill. So you um you cite the good old Environmental Protection Agency sources of greenhouse emission gas emissions, and a, a note that that industry is 24% of greenhouse gas emissions, electric power is 25%, transportation is 27%, mm-hmm. commercial and residential is 13%, and agriculture is 11 So agriculture yeah. among the top five is the smallest. <laughs> so, you know, just to keep it yeah. in proportion, there's lots of reasons to get agriculture right. Uh, climate is is one of them, but it you as you say it can only go so far toward driving total U.S. emissions towards zero quickly and steeply. But um, we also have the carbon sequestration side of it, which normally you hate. I'm almost <laughs> I'm almost afraid to talk about carbon sequestration with you. Uh, but here's one here's a case where we have to uh, we have to it actually is good. So. So yeah. let's talk about this one. Uh, yeah, well, what I hate is industrial sequestration, where they, you know, you, you uh, filter out the uh, carbon dioxide molecules out of uh, air or the exhaust from a power plant and uh, liquefy it, freeze it, uh, um, and and try to stick it underground in uh, old oil wells and have it. Uh, be there that there, there are many many problems with that but um, improving the capacity of the landscape to uh, capture carbon through the old-fashioned way of photosynthesis um, is um, it, that is something that um, that you, what we do on the landscape uh, can have double benefit it improves well triple benefit i guess improves the health of the um, the soil ecosystem the general ecosystem um it uh improves uh, uh biodiversity and um it can result in more carbon coming out of the air into the leaves of the plant 
being metabolized uh, and then the um, carbohydrates being uh, pumped down into the roots of the plants um, and uh, be buried not permanently in, in the soil, but um, at, at least um, keeping more, so, uh, more carbon out of the atmosphere and uh, feeding this um, uh, soil ecosystem. So it's all, it's a, a, one of the famous win-win situations. <laughs> Those are real. <laughs> okay. So um, we have, yeah. So you, you know, you, you started the dispatch talking about a five year, the five year farm bill, but we both know uh, <laughs> that there is a proposal uh, that came from uh, 2009 from uh, I don't know. Would we call him your boss? Uh, would we call him your uh, <laughs> oh uh, your guru? Well, well, right. He was the founder of the founder Land Institute, and he's now my uh, colleague, my office. <laughs> your, my yes, office. Your, <laughs> <laughs> your colleague, Wes Jackson, uh, just a you know regular regular colleague. Um, and uh, you were talking about he, he, they have a proposal with his co-author Fred Kirschenman uh, for a 50-year farm bill. So to kind of draw people's attention to the fact that this is uh, longer term thinking that we need. And the cornerstone of the 50 year farm bill is, of course, perennial agriculture. So this is like the part of the podcast where we say, hey, where can we find you? And uh, what are you what can we plug? What can we plug? What are you working on these days? Uh, What are you working on these decades so yeah, <laughs> yeah w- w- this is a great time. I, I know we've we've mentioned it here and there, but this is of course the uh, the perfect chance to talk about what the Land Institute is and mm-hmm. what perennials are and how far along the project has come now. Right. Well, the the most uh, talked about um, uh, route to R O U T E to um, uh, to biological. Uh, carbon capture and sequestration, the one we're all familiar with is uh, woody plants, plant, plant more trees, um, protect forests and so forth. So that that's the one that gets a lot of attention. Uh, but perennial species like uh, all of the plants of the uh, prairie that used to cover the uh, whole midsection of the country here um, are also uh, very um, good at storing a lot of carbon in the ground because they have huge extensive uh, root systems that are alive um, year round. Um, uh, Now what we did, uh, we, our uh, ancestors did in the um, uh, mid to late 1800s, early 1900s, uh, was to uh, come from Europe, go through, uh, come out to, I'm in Kansas, come out to this part of the country and um, rip out the uh, native prairie that had been there for millions of years. And and so um, wheat and, and other crops that they had uh, brought from Europe, which are annual species that have to be, as you know, planted from seed each year. Um, they um, so for much of the year, they either 
uses that a very small, sparse, spindly uh, root system uh, until it can grow a larger plant, which can capture more sunlight and build up the um, root system. But then by the time the uh, say if it's a, a corn plant so in in the spring early summer there's a little spindly root system there um it it grows through the summer and by the time it produces a pretty decent uh, uh root system say in september by september then soon after that the plant is maturing uh it, it dies off the um the roots die they release their they're, they're digested by microorganisms, release their carbon. It, um, it, it, it doesn't stay there very long, and eventually it makes its way back to the atmosphere. Um, so there's a big opportunity if we use both um, perennial crops that are used to uh, feed those cattle who aren't going to be getting grain anymore so we can plant uh, a lot of that midsection of the uh, country that's in corn and soybeans now plant it to pasture and hay crops or return it to native prairie and um, and cattle can graze there won't produce as much meat but we eat way too much meat anyway um, and so that's something that can be done immediately, but we're still going to need human grain, uh, uh, grain uh, staple uh, foods to eat uh, the grains. Uh, so, for for example, um, for um, you know, 20 years now at the Land Institute, we've been working on developing perennial wheat. So um, instead of um, of uh, growing annual wheat, we could have actually have a perennial grass, and um, that uh, it looks more or less like wheat. It's very similar to wheat, it, but it's been it's a hybrid system, um, and would um, not completely, but at least partially substitute for the perennial uh, grasses that made up the native prairie um, and, and then we, we also have a distant cousin of wheat um, that uh, trademark name is uh, Kernza it, it was it's um, it was used for a long time as a forage grass where um, we have been domesticating it and it's now in pilot production in, in several states as as a perennial grain and I so believe the I, <laughs> I believe i sent your colleague you and your colleagues at the land institute a uh, video of my daughter uh my right. two-year-old daughter at the time uh, <laughs> eating a kernza pancake right <laughs> yeah it can be used for a lot you know a lot of the same things that uh, that wheat is used for uh so the 50-year farm bill was ju just a, a conceptual Thing, saying that over, and this was uh, uh, 12, 15 years ago, saying over the next 50 years, they have to um, decrease the land area under annual crops, increase the uh, land area under um, uh, hay and pasture crops or agroforestry or other 
perennial or partially perennial systems and then um, as perennial crop there quite a few we have a lot of cooperators around the country and world working on developing perennial grain crops as those uh, become available to produce cereals oil seeds uh, legume crops you know pea, pea bean family um, then those will um, expand as well and then basically at the end of this 50-year vision the um, land area under annual crops would basically be uh, the kind of and there are some perennial vegetables but um, we, we're still going to uh, need to uh, have land to grow uh, annuals uh, to, to, <laughs> yeah, yeah to grow tomatoes and, and but people don't know so this I, I didn't know this uh, until a few years ago but vegetables and fruit is like what five percent of land almost all the land is used for grain yeah yeah it's like three to five percent and so we we can afford especially in uh non-erodible uh river valley land and so forth um yeah we can uh continue growing vegetables that way not in uh skyscrapers we we (laughs) yeah you've uh, you've addressed that you've addressed that one (laughs) you've shot you've already done a stancox shoot down of that uh, of vertical vertical farming um all right okay so anything else for this one uh if, if not i'd leave you with a quote from you uh, it is essential both to purge fossil fuels and to perennialize agriculture. No two policies are more crucial to preventing ecological meltdown. That's a I, that's a that's a that's a big one. That's a big statement I, from you. Did I say that? <laughs> yeah. No two policies. No two policies. All right. Well, yeah, you sorry. know what? Purging fossil fuels is a pretty pretty huge policy. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's uh, you know people um, talk about what. You know, this is a huge. Uh, um, it is. It's a very um, ambitious thing to want to develop perennial grains, but <laughs> given our society's dependence on fossil fuels and the um, the fact that the world we see around us today would never have been built uh, without those fossil fuels, the the task of uh, flushing them out of the uh, out of society is uh, is the hardest thing of all but it's got to be done got to be done <laughs> all right where are we going next uh, next month <laughs> i'm uh this uh, piece that i'm uh, finishing up uh about the the way the anti climate um push among uh, you know, MAGA world, uh, because you know, as we were saying about the Farm Bill, uh, Washington is pretty much in a stalemate, but you've got uh, about 20 of the 50 states now under unified Republican control, meaning both houses of their legislature and the governorship are under Republicans, and they are passing um, you know, it's hundreds now, hundreds of 
crazy laws basically trying to defend and prop up the uh, fossil fuel um, industry. Um, and then other laws um, un undercutting the um, rights of people in localities and, and undercutting local governments by dictating that they cannot pass laws that would um, interfere with the ability of the fossil fuel companies to do business and to, to uh, so it's uh, it's really disturbing but the same states that are passing all these uh, uh, like Florida you know uh, don't say gay laws and laws that are uh, um, going to make uh, journalists vulnerable to defamation suits or and bloggers being required to register with the state government if they're going to write about public officials um and and, and the uh you know the insane uh uh anti-abortion laws all all of those things are also accompanied by these laws that are going to make um, dealing with climate and getting rid of fossil fuels that much else to talk about here. So it sounds like we're going to go back to our normal pattern. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. We'll, we'll come back to uh, farming again some one day. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Thank you, Justin.